welcome back to the Cellulite Swap. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Mike, and along with me are the usual suspects, Sarah, Jason, Matt, and Kevin. And on this episode, we dive back into our box set. In this box set, we are exploring sci-fi films. I will be starting us off with my selection from 1940, The Invisible Man Returns, starring Cedric Hardwick, Vincent Price, and Non Gray, and it's all directed by Joe May. The Invisible Man Returns is about an owner of a coal mine who is falsely imprisoned for the murder of his brother. After escaping the hangman's noose through his use of his invisibility, he sets out to catch the man responsible for his false imprisonment. While hunting down the culprit, the chemical that has made him invisible is also driving him to madness. With the help of his loyal friends, he sets out to be cured while clearing his name at the same time. So, I'm sure this is everybody's first time seeing the movie. This is probably my third or fourth, so go ahead and give me your opinions, guys. I thought that was a very succinct wrap-up. Um... <laughs> I, what? Oh, of the movie? Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Um, oh, Jesus. I watched it. It, it was... I watched it. Yeah, I watched it. That, that's what I have to say. No. It wasn't bad. It was, wasn't was great. It was something... It just was a very easy movie. You kind of just watched, you know, and I don't know. I enjoyed the hour and a half. It was quick. I yeah. Guess. I enjoyed the length. Yeah. Um, that was... It was, was okay. Really, yeah. It was. I think it would have been better if you would have seen The Invisible Man right before, because it kind of like... I don't know. I just felt like for the first half of the movie, it's like, who am I even supposed to be caring for? Like, yeah. all these people are just like weird, yeah, you know, creepy British people. Yeah. So the Invisible Man doesn't show up until like sixteen minutes in, and then you don't you don't even see him before he's invisible, and you don't even hear his voice until sixteen minutes yeah. in. You know, it's weird, a weird way to structure this and, movie. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize it was it was Vincent Price was the Invisible Man until he started going a little crazy, and then he started laughing. <laughs> Once you got that thriller laugh, you know, you're like, that's oh, Vincent oh, Price. Oh, the, the he's dinner like, scene? Yeah, he's like, yeah. Ah, you know, doing his laugh. I'm like, Love all right, that's Vincent Price. Yeah, this is our second time seeing it. I was like, oh, cool, The Invisible Man. And then I was like, oh, wait, Returns? This isn't the original one? Oh, but it's totally fine because Vincent Price is here. Oh, wait, he's not, like, really in it? This yeah. is, um, I don't like it. No, it's no from me. Well, this is very early in Vincent Price's career because he was 29 years old. Yeah. So You don't even get to see him, though. That's, until like, the, having yeah. fun. Yeah. He's yeah. looking that, yeah, at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, because then, yeah, when at you one finally time see was, him. Yeah. Well, that's what, it was the same thing. For, it was funny because, yeah, I don't want to ruin the movie. I just uh, I almost jumped to the end. So yeah, that's 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 where I was gonna go because I got that was one of my the shock of the whole movie. I love the movie, and I have many reasons for why I love the movie, and I guess I can highlight them through. You have to admit, with the film, it was very clear. The picture was clear. It wasn't grainy. It wasn't nasty. It was well shot. You know, there wasn't any hokey super effects i mean you didn't see strings hanging from like the telephone when he's talking on it or anything like that you know and some of the effects like where he takes his goggles off you know in the cottage and you can see through his eyes and whatnot you know it's a nice mirror effect you know it was pretty cool um yeah that was the one of the few notes i had is that by today's standards those effects were where they were you know you could see they were how they were done but I'm thinking, like, you know, you're going to the movie theaters in 1940. They were probably pretty good, you know, at the time. That might have, people at, at that time, you might be like, wow, this is how they do that. That's pretty amazing. Well, the, you know, that whole, because, yeah, there weren't a lot of wires, or you didn't see any wires. You didn't, you know, just a lot of the effects, they were really good. You know, I'm thinking from somebody watching it in 1940, they were probably blown away by those effects. Yeah, because, I mean, look, the contrast on the other end of that spectrum at the most extreme is like Ed Wood, you know, where 
you know, the effects were so hokey in his movies, even though he's a cult favorite. Yeah. Not even like Ed Wood movies, just because they're goofy I, and fun. I don't know. I had a note early on where I was like, what do I even think about the special effects? Because they weren't really blowing me away at first. Yeah. And towards the beginning of the movie, uh, the doctor is trying to find a cure for the invisibility. Mm-hmm. And he injects the guinea pig, mm-hmm. and that transformation is really lame. And that's mirrored by one at the end of the movie that's way better yes, than yes. the guinea pig one. Okay. So, like the effects won me over after a while, but uh, I don't know. There's a good variety of uh, the yeah, effects. I mean, there was again, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I was trying to think of somebody in that time, you know, watching it, 1940. You know, that's but that's like all the know. movie is for yeah, me, it's, anyways, it's is like some effects, good effects. Yeah. Like the story is yeah. kind of blah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that was most 1940s films. I don't think uh, so at all. 1939, we watched yeah. a movie not yeah, too long ago that Coach. was amazing. Yeah, yeah was exactly. But, you know, <laughs> these, these kind of year. movies didn't have super big budgets. You know, like where Stagecoach, even though he did a yeah. fantastic job with that, but then he got bigger <laughs> budgets yeah. as it went on. So you, you have to go well, The money's it. no excuse for having a decent story this story is just kind of yeah hokey and lame it's just an excuse to show off the special effects i think that's that to was me the, that Our was story the, is free all it was was yeah. to capitalize which i wish i was able to start with the 30s not the 40s because we would have watched the original invisible man which was much better i think 1937 was it or something like that no it was like really like 33 or something yeah or maybe it was 31 i'll have to look it up but the point is is that it was just a capitalization on like it, it's kind of like movies today where they just you know one movie is a hit and then they make like a million sequels fast and furious that's there's a prime example every movie after that is shitty you know what i mean so it was just a capitalization on because after this you had the invisible woman the invisible man's revenge you know it just kept going so invisible i think it was agent, just yeah. yeah i think they were just trying to you know milk money out of the set probably that's because fine the but so I, popular. I don't know i just well, that would. What I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to explain probably why they didn't put that much effort into it because they were just trying to capitalize on it. But the Frankenstein movies, I think the first three are really good. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like the only one who likes the third uh, one a lot. No, I like mm-hmm. the third one. So, if if I were just to pick this movie out, me, the reason I would watch it was would be Vincent Price. I'm like, okay, Vincent Price. You know, everybody knows who he is, and then he's not even in the movie. Right. I mean, oh. he's yeah. in the movie, but yeah. he's not really in the movie, and it's just like, ah. And Why I, am I watching this? This movie was thoroughly more enjoyable than the last movie I watched. <laughs> so that it has that going for it. Okay. I generally liked it, I have to say, in general. I wasn't like too crazy about it, but I kind of liked it. There's worse ways to pass an hour and a half, for sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. For the most part, I don't judge movies as hard as maybe some of the rest of you, so... I just sometimes I just watch it doesn't have to be the greatest but I get enjoyment out of it so that was I guess the point on this one I saw this before and I forgot how British it was like everyone yeah, except was, Vincent Price has like a crazy that's accent. what I was saying like Vincent Price and the girl well I had no they recollection had, that the original movies took place in England I just assumed it was well, yeah, an American it's, all, yeah, thing it's based off H.G. Wells he wrote it the yeah. original story yeah and yeah, uh, Claude Rains was in the original one so mm. oh man and he was wow. the brother that supposedly died though. oh okay Sir Michael gotcha I also thought it was hilarious because it was very British I love how everybody was Sir something you know, like everybody in this movie was knighted. <laughs> if you had a like halfway decent education, you got knighted by the queen or something. What the hell? 
like everybody's addressing everybody as sir something. It's, it's like, like a participation knighthood. Yeah, I know. It's like it's it was stupid. That that part I had to say was stupid. I'm like, there's that much nobility just around. I mean, these people can't be like regular people. The first note I wrote about this movie is every old horror movie started with the camera on a placard naming wherever the movie starts. Yeah. Like, doesn't Young Frankenstein even start like that, too? Yeah, I think well, so. Well, this yeah. one so also like, starts the same way. It that, opens to Radcliffe Manor. Right, that's, that's what, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So all the places they go to have placards, so maybe everybody has to be knighted, so you can get into these places. Again, getting back to like you don't see or hear the Invisible Man until 16 minutes in. Like there's a prison escape. You don't see Radcliffe, the Invisible Man. You don't see him in prison, and then you don't see him escape from prison. Instead, later on, you see a cop reenact the escape. He washed his hands. He took a towel like that, and he walked over here, still chatting about the weather, just as offhand as you please. Then he stopped talking, and after a jiffy, we go in. And here's the water still running. And there's nothing left but his clothes laying there on the floor, sir. That's just the way it was. So help me, Bob. Wasn't it, Bob? Just as sure as I stand here, sir. I enjoy that scene, but it just seems weird. They, they go so far out of their way to avoid using Vincent Price. It's almost like he went AWOL on set or something, you know, and they had to work around it. But I'm sure that's not the case. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see him actually take a shot and disappear or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you, then you could have, you know, who is he, what, you know. And I can they see where Jason's going oh, with that. Oh, shit, that is Vincent Price. Woo. Right. Yeah. Like, did they only have him for, like, a day, and then he had to, like, mail all of his audio recordings yeah, in across knows? the ocean? I don't, I don't know. know how that worked. Wasn't this one of his first movies, or? Right. I'm, I'm not. Sarah, you're when the resident. When was Laura? That was after this, right? This, Laura yeah, was He only had three movies. Yeah, he only had, like, three or four movies before this one. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, Tower of London in 39. Yeah. Both those were in 39. So, yeah, this was the very early portion because this is only two years after he, he started. He did so. play. It seemed like he played very uh, British-type guys. He, he well, was Sir Walter Raleigh. Yeah, well, he... The Duke of Essex or something? Whatever. Now, in the beginning of the movie, uh, the opening at Radcliffe Manor, like Matt said, you know, they're focusing in on, you know, the placard in the record, uh, Radcliffe Manor. And you see the Radcliffe's servants eating dinner and talking about their former employers and pending execution and talking about how he's innocent and so on and so forth. And then it just comes to realize that this man, what, Richard Cobb? I know his last name was Cobb, but I believe it was Richard Cobb was the character's name. But anyway, he's holed up in the manor, so I, I guess he took it over? Did you guys get that feeling or something? I have no idea. Like I said, I was totally confused by this movie the first half. Like, mm-hmm. what yeah. was going on? He was just some creepy dude who said he'd give his right arm to help this chick out. Yeah, it's like he had I thought a, he was the brother at first, to tell you the yeah, truth. I, like, I wasn't sure what he was. Well, later, was I just not paying attention? Yeah. Well, no. Um, was this all laid out? When, no, when, when he's talking, when after the servants bring in the, the coffee and whatnot, and he's talking with Radcliffe's girlfriend, who he obviously has an infatuation with, he goes, it's my cousin. So, so he said that uh, Cobb was his cousin, so by heredity... He was able to take over Radcliffe's stuff because Radcliffe had been See, condemned and was sent to prison. I so. was having trouble keeping up with all the British language. I was lost. Okay. I guess speak a different language, man. For me, it was kind of hard to follow, but you're right. I believe he does say something that he is like family. That's why he has the manor, and that's yeah. why he took over the company. But, yeah, it was... No, they didn't well, they explain it later. He's like, you can't take yeah. it over because I'm still here. Yeah, and that was... Yeah. I mean, they explain it, 
I think it was a lot of it was just a setup, you know, setting up the whole last half of the movie was that was the first half, yeah. I guess. And you know but, he's a good guy because the poor people like him in the beginning. They're like he couldn't have murdered anyone. He's the yeah. greatest. And it seems to me that you're you guys are right. They could have done a better job of introducing this or putting in backstory in case somebody missed the previous movie or something. Because I don't even know if it ties really into the first movie well they like call it. it invisible man returns but it should be called another invisible man yeah exactly it it just <laughs> turns out being weird so anyway from there we go to the prison and radcliffe's friend dr griffin visits uh, him before his scheduled execution you know and all of a sudden there's a call put into the detective's office which Again, that portion, your guys are right. It does bother me a little because we don't even see the prison escape, which it should be. Like, just even innuendo that maybe he takes off his clothes and he's waiting in the corner or something like that until they think it's a break and they open the door and he just walks out. But then you all of a sudden get a uh, call at the detective's office and uh, lead inspector is informed of Radcliffe's escape. They don't do this at first. You have no idea who they're working for, but it's not until like another 20 minutes later that you find out that they're Scotland Yard. So that was a little annoying. I'm like, are these local police or is this Scotland Yard? What is this? And then, of course, they go back to prison and, you know, the guards are trying to explain how Radcliffe escaped. And does anybody get the feeling like Cedric uh, Hardwick kind of he kind of remind me of Cindy Greenstreet. He kind of sounded like Sidney Greenstreet and acted a little bit like Sidney Greenstreet with his laugh. And such with the cigar smoking. Hmm, I didn't really see okay, that. Okay, well, I guess I'm the only one. Maybe a little, yeah. Okay, and then uh, after that, we end up going into the woods, and you see Radcliffe. He's searching around looking for his clothes that somebody stashed for him, you know, hang, hanging by like a... And this a, is the first time you see the special effects. Yes. Yep. Yeah, or even, like Jason said, the introduction of the invisible man. And Very weird. Yeah. Running through the woods naked, no fun. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I've know, never, just, I've never tried that. And on top of that, walking barefoot they, through the woods. And they made a few references to that the movie about how you're you have no clothes on, you're out. It's cold. It's so cold. Blah blah blah. They did make a few references to that. So they did, but just things like you'd well, still see his breath even if he's yeah. invisible. And that like, that annoys me. And yeah, I just there's only so much you can mm-hmm. do with the invisible man because you're just watching nothing and it's just yes. so uninteresting yes. and. I can't believe they made all the sequels to the original they made, and then they remade it with Kevin Bacon, yeah. yes. and it was still so just bad. as, like, it just, just wears bad. thin so fast. Like, and, there's only so much and, nifty stuff you could and, do with special and, effects. And that's what bothered, like, I, I have this note. Invisibility, it can be fun, you know, to do the special effects and stuff, but re- you think about somebody who's invisible. Once you hear their breathing or... You know, you you have that thing when something's around. Right. You have like a, you feel a presence, you know, or something like that. Once you get that, you wouldn't be like, "Who's there? I can't see you." Ha, ha, and then like he's like talking to that one guy in the forest, and he's like, he's like over here and over there. Man, he moves fast. <laughs> right. And he silently. doesn't. He doesn't yeah, he doesn't hit a branch or nothing. Him crashing. Around. I don't know. It, it's fun for the special effects and whatnot, but I was just thinking about that the entire movie when I've seen these movies. You know, like yeah, the one with Kevin Bacon. You don't know somebody's there you can't hear them we're not i know i'm not quiet so if i were invisible you know i'm there because i'd breathe or i'd well not only that but then the rustling of leaves if you're stepping out yeah anything you're right you're right but like matt said there's only so much you can do with it that's why like invisible man stories this was a fun movie for me but i see what matt's point is like there's only so much you can do when there's somebody not there it becomes like uninteresting because there's no like 
you know their mannerisms and such kind of is what draws you into that's, the vocal that's why i have no idea how you could watch this like a third time like, uh, actually i think uh, it's my fourth do you think his poops invisible Yes, <laughs> would, I would be like going to all my enemies' houses and just pooping in their living rooms. Well, so they wouldn't be able to find I would, it. I would think so because his blood's invisible. So I guess all bodily. Oh man, I would be next to people just laying farts. Didn't they see the blood after he got shot? Did he bleed or or no? no. They somehow no. knew he was bleeding to death. Yeah, they knew he was shot and bleeding to death, but they never showed it. I don't right. think. Right. I don't know. I mean, you could if if you touched him and then they were like, "Ooh, it's all wet" or whatever. You'd have to assume that that's blood, or maybe they could smell it. Mm. Well, I'm just thinking because I think when he first went back to the the doctor's office, you know, in midway through the movie. The doctor's like, well, let me take you know a sample of his blood, and he had to actually put the color to it to actually realize that it was yeah. there because they showed like him taking the vial oh, and there's nothing right. in it. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but the blood, the blood was the big thing. Yeah. Ooh. So anyway, after uh, running around the woods, we go back to uh, Radcliffe Enterprises, uh, which ends up being like I guess a coal mine. They never actually establish what it is. It's they just a, keep yeah, saying it's a the coal quarry. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, yeah. Yeah. It is a coal mine for sure, but they just keep saying the quarry. Anyway, uh, Cobb and Dr. Griffin uh, discuss Radcliffe's escape, you know, talking about, you know, if you know where he is, we want to help him and so on and so forth. So I like his, his lab. When did it shift from all science being conducted with beakers to being conducted with computers and, oh. and lights that flash? That's a good question. 1960, I think. Maybe even the 50s. Yeah, yeah. yeah sometime in the 50s. But I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, it's, yep, yeah, was, this is the old science lab. You can see yeah. him doing all the science. Like, this yeah, is how it's mad done. Yeah, mad scientist. All the yeah, beakers and vials and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it totally reminds me back to, you know, chemistry class, you know, because they taught you how to use all that shit. It was like, nobody really uses this anymore, you know, because it's all digitized. Yeah. Like, so. That's an Erlenmeyer flask if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Probably makes great coffee. So anyway, after that, then we're outside the quarry and the workers are discussing Radcliffe's escape while the Scotland Yard detectives show up to ask questions, you know, Dr. Griffin, you know, anything that they could give or can you help us find him, whatnot like that. That ends up being a conversation like that. Anyway, then we go back inside the lab and Dr. Griffin and Inspector Sampson are discussing the case which i just said so and then we go to this cottage in the country where radcliffe's girlfriend awaits his arrival at the cottage i have a note about that i love the caretaker or the guy who overlooks the cottage (laughs) he's just this how does he know her i don't know or how does she know him i think they used to rent that cottage or something. Maybe it's their cottage, and he just like keeps maintains it see, like a groundskeeper. What, what bothered me about that whole thing is that he's supposed to be way out in the woods, and there's just this cop just riding his bicycle in the middle of the woods. Yeah, I, I didn't. I that part I didn't. Why? Get. So that he could uh, freak out. I mean, I guess that leads the plot, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that was just a plot filler. Then, to be honest with you, it's like the only person that senses the Invisible Man is the dog. They show the Invisible Man's madness by his anger at the dog barking. Yeah. But I was getting angry at that dog barking too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was there was a annoying. lot of there was uh, way too much barking. But he's also getting angry because it's gonna, you know, get him the jig exactly. Oh, yeah. But yeah. so is this the same time where we see the shot that you thought was cool, where you see through yeah. his eyes? Yes. Because yeah. that pissed me off because you're not seeing what's behind his head you're seeing some weird other rear projection stuff like what you see does not match the rest of the background behind his head it's such a cool idea why would you it just looked very like muddled and like shadowy almost it didn't look anything like you're seeing through 
Actually, to me, it did. It looked like I was seeing the back end of the bandages on the back of his That's head. That's what I thought. It yeah, would be darker it because be. It, it'd be in the shadow. Yeah. So um, I definitely didn't get the feeling you I did. figured they had mirrors in his eye sockets, and then they put in front of him dark bandaging. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. I didn't like it. Well. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Matt. Sup- I don't know. I wasn't like... I was like, eh, these special effects, eh, and like I was kind of complaining about it to Jason, and Jason's like, but they did this, this, and this, and I'm like, I don't know, man, not for me. I just like old effects, I guess. Well, yeah, there is I some like that are too. really good. This was like, I just don't think this is top tier of what you could and do. And I think there's some really good ones in this movie, but that right. that one there, it should be really cool, and then it's like it's lame. And if, it's, if it is supposed to be the back of the bandages, well, what's the point? Just show the front of the bandages. There's nothing really interesting about that it's well, you, you're head. noticing that hollow they head. did it you're you're not noticing like i don't know what i got was he was taking off his glasses and he was trying to look at himself and he was getting I, depressed because i understand what he was doing in the scene literally yeah. i'm saying the whole reason it's there is to be like a cool special effect but it, mm-hmm. it's not it's just calling attention it, to yourself for no reason it's not a good it effect. was supposed to be a great effect and matt believes it was not and sarah and sarah but there's ones later that I really did like. Mm-hmm. All right. So then we go back to the cottage and the caretaker discovers Radcliffe and tries to cover up to the police officer when he brings back the dog. You know, he's trying to cover up for Radcliffe. So then uh, that ensues a whole chase because then all of a sudden the cop wants to search the house. And then, he, you know, he calls Scotland Yard detectives and then they come running out and all that other kind of stuff. So then we go back to the lab, you know, and Radcliffe arrives at the lab to talk to his friend, Dr. Griffin. And that's where, you know, as Kevin was talking about, he draws a blood and then has to put the ink or whatever in it so he can see it. As that happens, as he's leaving, there's a guy named uh, Willie Spears. And Spears is the uh, superintendent of the quarry. So anyway. He's the henchman of that cop yeah, guy. guy. Yeah, he's the henchman of the cop. Yeah, he's, uh, he is. He's the butler of Bruce Wayne. I think we need all Is that who that is? Yes. He Alan looked Napier. familiar and I couldn't mm. place him. Really? That's the original really? Alfred, yeah. huh? Well, wow. From 89 or whatever. No, from the TV show. Oh, the TV Michael show. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. I never really watched the series Batman, so I wonder no. what I, I recognize he's him from. He's pretty good on that. He's, he's got he's, some good episodes. Nah. Mm. So, well, but that's but yeah, it's a really broad performance from Alan Beer in this at times. I kind of like it. Oh, so he wouldn't see me. <laughs> I was thinking it would be nice if we could have a little talk. That's a matter of opinion. You've been interfering again in the pit, I is. Telling the men not to work in number three tunnel. <laughs> it doesn't quite fit the movie, but it's entertaining. Well, he's playing drunk in the scene that Mike's talking about right now, right? In the yeah, chase exactly. scene, isn't he drunk? Yeah, he's drunk when he comes into the office. Then when he leaves, you know. And anyway, uh, Radcliffe follows him, you know, to screw around with him. So all of a sudden, he breaks down on the side of the road. Which I want to know how Radcliffe got out of out of a moving car and all of a sudden disabled it. Good luck with that. No, he didn't disable it. He was like flipping up the flap of the fender or something and it freaked him out and he crashed or something he he opened the the hood and he stopped because you don't drive a car with an open hood oh right it didn't break down and then maybe later on but he did he did open the hood while the car was was that the hood that flipped yeah it's like the flaps that's how they got to the hood they they called it at that time they called it a bonnet and that's what they call it yeah because it came up from the side it was yeah it was that kind of yeah like yeah it's but he's chasing him the reason he's chasing him to begin with is because he wants to get the lowdown on what 
Cobb has been doing. Yeah. He wasn't chasing him just to like screw yeah, with them. Right. No, yeah, but, they, he, but it does seem like that at yeah, first. Yeah, well, he wants to screw with them because he was a false witness and got him on well, death yeah, row. Yeah. He's like, because he said in that, in that scene, he's like, what's the night watchman, you know, bossing people around? Oh, well, Cobb made him the superintendent. Yeah. So he's like, hmm, I got to figure this out. I smell something fishy. And that's when yeah. he, yeah, that's that's what sets everything in motion where he thinks something and, mm-hmm, yeah, a foul. And he's got to screw with him foot. in order to drive a sense of fear into him in order to get what he needs. So he just keeps screwing with him and driving fear. So then Spears runs to his house, you know, and he's planning to run away. And then next thing you know, Radcliffe comes in and, you know, ends up knocking him out and then gagging him and bounding him so that he has his witness. You have like a stop motion rope effect here. Yeah. 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 It was the 40s. They were doing the best they could. So either that or you're just reverse the shot of them pulling the rope away, you know? Yeah. There was so. a couple of, like the guinea pig was stop motion, right? Like the, yeah. when you see his leash and all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. A variety of effects. Yes, indeed. So anyway, from after that, we uh, we wind up at Cobb's house and Radcliffe shows up to confront Cobb about his brother's murder, you know, and then, of course, Cobb goes nuts and he's shooting into like oblivion or air, you know, he's just trying to get away from him. And somehow the Scotland Yard police show up. Something just just out of nowhere. Like nobody phoned them or anything else. They're, so. they're that good. Yeah. When did they get the fingerprint? They got the fingerprint after Radcliffe had left Escaped the house. from the cabin, right? Yeah. The cottage, yeah. And, yeah. So, and that's where you see the detective. Like He's like, oh, it's a perfect match. The fucking eagle-eyed detective. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he saw that was a match, but yeah. you know, best detective ever. Yeah. So maybe they somehow linked it through that. I, I don't know. It was it was probably well, just police I mean, work at the time. They you, just blamed you, anybody. If you think so. But the no, guy, I'm saying that's the guy why that, they were. The guy that escaped is Radcliffe. You think eventually they go to Radcliffe Manor. Yeah. Hmm. Gee, I mean, you would be thought? much of a detective to do that. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, they're chasing him, and he's going through all this stuff. Mm. Yep, that's his print. Like, you've been chasing him. No shit, you know? Mm. Well, he's been here. So, anyway, mm. so then we're outside uh, Dr. Griffin's house, you know, and the police are scared out of their wits while Radcliffe attempts to enter Dr. Griffin's house. You know, and he sneaks in. You know, it's the whole scene where they're jumpy, and the cat comes out of the tree, and so on and so forth. And they're like, well, good night. Ha, ha, it was nothing. So he gets in, you know, so then we're in Dr. Griffin's house and they're having dinner between Radcliffe, his girlfriend, Helen, and Dr. Griffin. The two of them are watching Radcliffe start to go mad. And I mean, start raving mad. So I think at this point in the movie, they had said madness, madness, probably 40 times. Yeah. I'm like, man, they're really concerned about madness, madness. And then the next scene, he's like. He's going mad. Like, oh, I guess it does have a payoff. Oh, wow. But it's that scene that you realize it's Vincent Price. The synopsis of the drug, if you read the synopsis of the movie, like there's one side effect to this drug and it's gradual madness. And I just don't know. I mean... How long did it take him to figure out that that was the side effect? If it's gradual madness. It doesn't seem gradual. It's like a day. It takes a day. Yeah. Well, Zero to 60 is gradual. How long is it going to take him to go mad? Could be two days. Could be two months. There you go. Yeah. Twenty-three hours. It's gradual. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Doctor Griffin laid it out. He had no clue when he was going to go mad. It could be all of a sudden, or could be later. So at least he gave a heads up on that. It's like megalomania. You know, and uh, thinks he's a god. Speaking of flipping back and forth, though, the guy, whoever is eating dinner with him, 
Griffin. Yep, there you go. He's like, oh, I'm just so sad about everything that's happening. And then he turns around and he's like, but you're my best friend. Drink this glass of champagne. I'm trying to knock you out. Drink it, drink it. And then, yeah, like the way the two act during that, it just... It was infuriating. All you have to do is like, hey, man, let's have a drink. This is cool. You know, and then they mm-hmm. drink. But they really. Oh, my God. They're both job. staring at him, like just like waiting for him to drink the poison. And, and it, yeah. They're kind of obvious about doping it up to begin yes. with. And you would yeah. think like he would turn and look, but he never turns and looks. He's just talking with that chick the whole time. Because yeah, he's crazy. Well, Hollywood, man. It's madness. Yeah, it is madness. madness. And of course. You know, they get him knocked out and they lock him up. Dr. Griffin chains him down in like a back room. And then he falls for something so stupid. He's like, give me a glass of water. He's like, sure. And then all of a sudden he like grabs him. That part was dumb. I'm going to give that to you. I'd have been like, here's a really long straw from across the room. Don't touch me. You know, I so. Oh, man, that'd be cool if he had a really long straw. Yeah. Well, actually, that that would probably be fun you could like make you do curly cues and could use like around. a pipette from Spell your science name. lab yeah exactly considering he had all that technology mm-hmm. he escapes of course again. right yeah again <clears throat> should be the invisible man escapes <clears throat> you know what it should be the invisible harry houdini once he leaves dr griffin's house you know in a mad rage he winds up at cobb's house and cobb is held captive by radcliffe you know so then he takes him out to Spears' house to show him that he's got Spears and that's his viable witness and it's going to be the end. But he has him hanging by, you know, a noose. So what does Cobb do? Kicks out the stool. Like, you didn't know that wasn't going to happen. Like, Vincent Price is an idiot. I'd have tied him to a fucking chair. Is that where he's like, what are you whining for? You've only been hanging by your neck for a couple hours. Uh, Like, oh my God, dude. Like, seriously, if you want to keep a witness, you don't keep them standing on a footstool in a death trap. Yeah, that's so stupid. But you weren't succumbing to the madness. Oh, I'm sorry. No. You have to. I wonder if he was really mad at that time. Mm. So, anyway. Only partially. It was gradual. I don't know. I don't think they said it enough. <laughs> Still love the movie. So, anyway, uh, once that happens, Cobb is, makes his escape out of, the, out of Spears' house and runs to the quarry, you know. Before we get to the quarry, where's the house? Where are they smoking him out of the house or whatever? Oh, the scene where they storm Radcliffe Manor. So they storm it. These guys look like fucking Darth Vader, do they? Yeah, they look like stormtroopers. That has to be where George Lucas got it from. Like, spot. No, like, yeah, no, I'm serious. Darth Vader, not stormtroopers. Yeah. Like, with the breathing and the thing. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. And that's probably a good possibility. (laughs) I like that scene. It's like, how do you logically find someone invisible? You trap them and steam it up, you know? Right. Well, the cop is always like, oh, you should smoke. It's good for finding invisible people. You never know when you're going to need it. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, he's like, there you are and he tries to grab him and he's totally gone I'm like totally yeah. whiffs. so anyway Cobb makes his escape to the quarry you know so then it ends up being this massive battle you know where they're running through crowds and knocking people over and all kinds of shit you know so. and where a group of people just start randomly shooting guns like <laughs> in every direction That's for no reason quarry. Yeah. yeah we're not gonna hit anybody we're else get this right. invisible guy let's shoot up the whole place with everybody standing exactly. around and it's nobody a, got a, shot. And like what bothers me is like I'm trying to think if I, even if I were invisible I'm running through a crowd am I, is everybody is like parting the red sea they're all just going to fall down like yeah. that. I don't know. It's You're going to someone an unexpected like, shove they're probably going to yeah. fall. 
Well, not only that, but you're not going to go through the middle of the crowd <laughs> if they're after you. You're going to detour around well, they them. They had so that, to show the effect. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because what are you going to do with an invisible man, like Matt said? So you have to show some sort of it's all like, effect. So anyway, they're in a battle royale for survival. Uh, they wind up on uh, both Cobb and Radcliffe wind up on a conveyor system with dump carts for coal. And so they're battling, and then they get to the top, of course, you know, and Radcliffe's like a choking out Cobb. And next thing you know, the lead inspector from Scotland Yard shoots him. Great shot. Yeah, as I say, he has to be with a crack shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He knew exactly where he was. And and that's a pretty far shot with a pistol, and you don't have an exact <coughs> aim. That is extremely lucky. I'm not I'm not even going to. Yeah, with the dude right below him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Chances are he'd have hit Cobb. Of course, he falls off, and Cobb's like, oh, I'm saved. And then next thing you know, you see the cart gets triggered. The dump side gets triggered, you know, on the track, and there goes Cobb over the end, you know. Then uh, while he's sitting there, you know, they, they talk to him, and um, Cobb admits that he killed Radcliffe's brother and all this other shit. And they're like, oh, okay, well, it clears his name. So then we're in an open field with a scarecrow, you know, and uh, Radcliffe's borrowing his clothes. He's like, let me borrow your clothes, old man. It's awfully cold out here. Why, if he was shot and bleeding to death, would he run out to the middle of a field to grab a scarecrow's clothes to go back into town to get help? Why wouldn't he just run to the fucking lab that was right there on the mine property? He was like 50 steps from the hospital. And he, instead yeah. he wanders off to find a scarecrow to have a conversation and get dressed and do a neat effect. The madness. He probably wasn't desperate enough. As he bled out, he probably got more desperate. He's like, I give yeah. up. Yeah. He's probably like, I'm going to get away. That, He's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm really That's hurt. what I assume yeah. was going yeah. on. Yeah. And I also assume that like he didn't think it was as bad until it was like, oh, shit. It really is bad. I got to get back. And then get you use like, all that die. blood and you get cold. Because yeah. he was saying, oh, well, I'm wanted for murder now, blah, blah, blah. So he thought he was going to go back to jail because he, when he was talking to yeah. the scarecrow. He didn't know about the confession. Yeah, he didn't yeah. understand about the confession and all that. And so I think he just, out of desperation, was like, I'm going back so I can survive and we'll figure out what happens. And then yeah, uh, that's, what I, that's what I, I took out All of that. Right. And then uh, happily, while he's on the bed and he's dying, but he comes back to life and survives, obviously, the blood transfusions that he needs ends up being the cure. It was the power of love. The blood was always the Just cure. like the Matrix, the power of love is what saves you. Aww. No, I think that was Huey Lewis in the news. Right. <laughs> can it be both? It well, can. It, but that was the good effect is his reappearance was how yeah. I thought the guinea pig was going to go where you see like the veins and, and yeah, the bones. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that it's was like that was cool. Yeah, it was saved for the end. It was much better. And that's where the shock for me, it was the same with Stagecoach when you first see John Wayne. And I'm used to seeing John Wayne as this old guy and he's this young man. And then you see Vincent Price. And yeah, it's Vincent Price, but he's young. I'm like, holy crap. He's I'm used to, I'm seeing him like, you know, and he has no mustache. The 60s and 70s is this B-horror actor, and wow, he I, was a young man. I told Kevin, I Whoa. go, I go. I never knew Vincent Price was that young. I thought he was just automatically born 46 years yeah. old. So, I mean, that, it was, yeah. that was, for me, that was the biggest shock, and it would have been cool to see more of him in the beginning, but... It, it would have been cool to see more of him just plainly, and and I get that, but you know it's the Invisible Man and so on and so forth. There is one thing I had a slight problem with in this movie, and that is why in the hell they have like a one-person hospital in this lab? You know, they just had like their own stationary hospital, and if somebody got hurt, 
you like maybe they're doing the like chemical analysis of the coal or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe people are dying all the time in coal mines. So yeah, that's you true. You have to have some sort well, of infirmary. Well, yeah, you know what? And and um, also injury too, because in the middle of the story, they talked about some worker that got his legs crushed or something by a car or whatever. Right. It, that let loose so they shipped yeah, him to shit the always happens in a mine yeah for sure i just really need to complain about the end of this movie though the thing that cured him after all this time was a simple blood transfusion it's why wasn't yeah. that the first thing they tried right. this right. scientist this brilliant scientist has been trying to figure out the invisibility thing for like they say nine years is it killed so many guinea pigs yeah killed mm-hmm. so many guinea pigs oh maybe this formula will work maybe mm-hmm. this formula will work and just like passing out from fatigue because he's been working so hard to find the cure all he needed to do was a blood transfusion because yeah. they induce the invisibility through the blood they sh- they shoot this stuff into the bloodstream so like yeah, yeah maybe fresh blood would reverse it the, you know the blood was the it's, cure all along the yep. blood of the love of your life those guinea pigs didn't love each other no, it I was mostly so. it was Irish minor blood. The, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah the, it was the Cockney, the Dirty Cockney minor. Maybe alcoholic blood. blood was the cure. Uh, it does sterilize. <laughs> and one, one drop of your true love blood, I guess. <laughs> That's all to, it takes. The ending to this movie, to me, definitely felt like they just were like, okay, this is going on too long. We just got to suddenly end this. Okay, there's the cure. He's good. Yay. <laughs> So uh, it was just bothering man, me. Blood transfusion. The whole time in the beginning when he's talking, this goes back to Vincent Price because I was thinking about this. I kept thinking to myself, that thing that we saw where the guy's like, smooth music. I'm like, this does not sound like Vincent Price. Mm-mm. And that's why it shocked me when I found out until he got to that laugh. And he's tormenting man. Spears in the woods. I really like that because he's, like, he's trying to do like an echoey ghost voice. Where are you? Here, beside you. But, but I can't see you. Of course you can't. I'm a ghost. <laughs> Ghost! Can a ghost sneeze? It's cold in the other world. So cold. That's what he's like. I'm a ghost. Spooky ghost. I'm a ghost. This happens. Okay, well, I just have one question for everybody. What would you do if you were invisible? Other than pooping in the corner of somebody's house, Jason. They would never find it. (laughs) Okay. I mean, come on. Go around. What What would you guys do if you were invisible? I don't know. I, I think it's such a stupid power. Like, okay, go look at someone's boobs. Like, right? That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's what any, I was going to do. voyeurism forever. That's yeah. all you do when you're yeah, that or like rob a bank that, or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's not. It doesn't lend itself to much. Yeah, you know. Uh, I'd yeah, probably. I'd be. I'd be the creepy voyeur. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably away creep on somebody. <laughs> that's what like, I'd do. All right. Well, I wasn't thinking that, but okay. Well, all right. Well, then I guess that answers. I get into movies for free. <laughs> Rob a bank. <laughs> Actually, oh, those are some good ideas because if you were only invisible for a day, I mean, literally, I would rob a bank if I was only invisible for a day. So you, you know. have to see that money like floating around, though, right? Yeah, you, I mean, you'd have to figure yeah, something. Like, yeah, how do you rob a bank? I don't know. I just Actually, actually, I'd just rob a Brinks truck. Ooh, would, I'm the that, ghost of money pass. That Take would be the easiest thing to do. I don't know. Rob a Pretend to be a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't pretend to be a ghost. I'd look, well, all right. I'd just scare the shit out of everybody. Getting back to some of the effects, when he was all wrapped up and he was wearing like welder's goggles and all that stuff, uh, I think it was when he was still in the cabin, he kind of looked like a the creature from the Black Lagoon is a burn victim or something. Wow. Like, I don't, yeah. I was, it was kind of unimpressive. He had a weird shape to, to him. He looked more menacing than he needed right, to. Right, he looked yeah. like he had yeah. gills, or he looked like the creature from uh, The Shape of Water or something oh. almost. Like his head was a very weird shape. All right, well. Um, yeah, and then 
he took off his clothes. No wonder she fainted. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, really. And th- there's some risque dialogue with uh, the cop and his boyfriend or something. Yeah, that yeah, I caught that. Like, ooh. That's funny. A little spicy. <laughs> I can roar my head off if I want to. <laughs> Let's drink to the golden age. <laughs> well, drink. Drink to me. Drink to my invincible power. To a new era, to a changed world, with me as its guiding genius. <laughs> well, that ends our review, and that takes us into something different. Instead of doing our usual recast, uh, we are picking our favorite sci-fi films of the 1940s. And, per usual, I will lead us off. Mine, which I wanted to pick, but you guys, it, even though I looked it up and it is sci-fi, it was... Uh, the second making of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1941, uh, directed by Victor Fleming, um, and it was starring Spencer Tracy, Ingrid Bergman, Ingrid Bergman Lana Turner, and Donald Crisp. This is one of my more favorite sci-fi films simply because it had a much better story, much better acting. Spencer Tracy and Ingrid Bergman definitely made it much, much better. Also, uh, Victor Fleming did a much, a really, really good job with bringing that story to life because the original one i think was 1937 maybe or something like that and it was with uh frederick march so uh much better although the original wasn't too bad either so anyway that was my pick probably would have been mine too i mean I've, because I, I just haven't seen like yeah. anything from this era that, really. that, that also was the one i was going for just i'll jump in but yeah. no sorry jump right. back out okay i'm out well, I'm going to go ahead and pass the uh, baton off to Sarah here. Go All ahead, right. Sarah. Tell so, me what you got. So uh, I also was like, well, I could lie and say that I saw one of these and talk about it, but I'm going to cheat kind of sort of instead. And I went with The Phantom Creeps from 1949, which is actually an edited version of four hours and 25 minutes of a 1939 serial starring Bella Lugosi. Ooh. Robert Kent and Dorothy Arnold, which if you look on their IMDb, this is like the top and only thing on their uh, filmography. And it's basically, it's a serial about a military intelligence officer and a reporter who try and find a scientist who is constantly making weapons of mass destruction, Dr. Zorka, Bela Lugosi. And I picked it because Rob Zombie uses the robot in his videos and still has it on tour with him. You guys might recognize the giant robot What's it called again? The Phantom Creeps. The Phantom Creeps. It was a serial between Oregon Trail and the Green Hornet. Universal. Hmm. Check it out. Sounds interesting. It does. It does indeed. I'm going to check it out. Jason? If I had to pick, I'd probably be uh, this movie we just watched, Return of the Invisible Man. But uh, the only other movie really I've seen in this time period is The Corpse Vanishes from 1942. Mm. stars a... Bill Lugosi and Elizabeth Russell. It's not an invisible man thing, is it? No, no. It'd be funny if it was, but uh, <laughs> it's like uh, Lugosi plays a scientist who sends these special orchids to young brides on their wedding day, and the orchids make them pass out and, and appear to die, and then he steals their corpse-like bodies, and he extracts their gland fluids and injects it into his wife to keep her young. Hmm. Well, and then, I like, like it. A lady journalist and a small-town doctor investigate and try and get to the bottom of what's happening. And it's not a great movie, but I've seen it. And uh, it's it, Mystery Science Theater did an episode on it as well. Right. Is it like the lady journalist from uh, the Kurt Russell movie? 
Big uh, Trouble in Little China. China. You mean she's Kim not Cattrall? as annoying as that? Okay, yeah. good. She's not annoying as Kim Cattrall. No, isn't Kim Cattrall's friend the journalist? Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Kim Cattrall's friend is the journalist. Yeah. Kim Cattrall is the lawyer. Yeah. No, she's a lawyer. She, oh, she's to help like immigrants and stuff like that in Chinatown. All right, let's move along, Kevin. Uh, I haven't seen any other movies from the uh, 1940s, but I think I would like to see um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde again. It seemed like it was, it's a great cast. And it kind of would go along with this movie and the fact that it's a big time, it was a big time British, uh, you know, story, H.G. Wells, this was Robert Louis Stevenson, and it kind of deals with the split personality or kind of going, devolving into madness and all that stuff, kind of losing madness, madness, losing your mind and all that, that. so that's what I would like to see. Is that gradually Uh, or does that happen? Is it instant? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's more instant. But I see. it's still madness. In Return of the Invisible Man, it's kind of like cooking grits. You, you mean the invisible yeah. You guys mean the Invisible Man Returns? Well, it's yeah. the same, same thing. Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, Kevin, you wouldn't be disappointed in the movie. You'd actually really like. I, it. I actually think I've seen parts of it, uh, like on uh, Turner Turn Classic, Classic movies or something. Yeah, but I never watched. It. I was halfway through the movie. Yeah, I've watched it, it twice. I also saw the original with Frederick yeah. Marajoso on uh, it's a TCM. It's a hell of a cast. It is. Okay, Matthew, I'm passing it off to you here, bud. So I think the only other movie I've seen from the 40s that would qualify as sci-fi, and I don't even know if I watched the whole thing, would be Unknown Island. And it's a movie where this ship captain takes a couple to an island where dinosaurs exist. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it's like one of those... Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... A, a, yeah. Are they kind of clay-looking dinosaurs? Yeah, exactly. Harryhausen. Yeah, Harryhausen-esque for sure. And, it, you know, it's one of those crappy sci-fi movies that you would mystery science theater may well have done i don't know okay i do have to say that i've seen a bunch like when i went through looking uh because they've got a list on wikipedia of course there were a bunch that i've seen there there are quite a lot of good ones and there's quite a lot of bad ones so you'd have to rifle through them but in the 40s they did make quite a quite a few good ones so anyway to go around and recap here for our favorite sci-fi film of the 1940s mine was uh, dr jekyll and mr hyde in 1941 directed by victor fleming starring spencer tracy ingrid bergman uh, lana turner and donald crisp mine was the phantom creeps from 1949 starring bella lugosi mine was the corpse vanishes from 1942 starring bella lugosi and elizabeth russell i had uh, dr jekyll and mr hyde in 41 like mike and I had Unknown Island from 1948 starring a bunch of people you've never heard of. Just think what I could do for my country. Or let's say, with my country. Control it! Other nations would tremble before us, as this nation will tremble before me. Don't you see what my power does for me? I could sit in on the councils of kings and dictators. It makes me king! It makes me nemesis! Well, that wraps it up here for us on the Celluloid Swap. We'd like to thank you for joining us and listening in. Uh, please stop by our website at celluloidswap.com and drop us a line and give us some listener feedback. You can also visit us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Feel free to email us at celluloidswap at gmail.com with any questions or feedback you may have. You can subscribe and listen in on either soundcloud.com or iTunes. It's free to listen. While you're there, be sure to hit the like button as well. Join us again next time when we change up rotation to continue the box set with Kevin's selection from 1956, Forbidden Planet. 
for our theme, we will continue with our favorite sci-fi films of the 1950s. We've seen more of those. Yes. Yes. yes indeed. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, until then, this is all of us saying, it's so cold in the other world. So cold. advantages. It gives one a sense of power that's exciting. Power for good, if you're so inclined. Or should you feel perverse, for evil. You hold the balance and decide which way life shall go. No one can stop you. No one can touch you. <laughs>